So for those of you who don't know me, I am Doug Mitchell. I'm married to, to Jen, my wife's right over here. And uh, we've been married for over 24 years this year. All right. Come on. Um, happily still, at least on my side, and on her side as well. Uh, we have three children, three kids. We have Brittany, who's 22. Um, she's on staff. She graduated last year from uh, Iowa Western. She's on staff at uh, Nebraska Children's Home. Um, then we have uh, Kyle, who's 20, and he's actually a citywide um, midterm, or intern, midterm, college stuff. He's a citywide intern uh, over at Midtown, and, um, and then there's Cole, Cole's 18, he's here this morning, and uh, he's graduating this year, and just this past week, he got accepted to the uh, automotive technology program over at uh, Iowa West. That's just a little bit about my family. I'll tell you a little bit about my story. I came to Christ when I was 14 years old. Um, I was pretty, a pretty good kid uh, who thought I was uh, you know, on the right path, doing the right things. Uh, I wanted to please my parents, wanted to please my coaches and anybody else who really had any authority over me. But Jesus entered my world at a Nazarene camp and showed me that there was more to life than just taking pride Doing the right thing. And he's continued to show me that there is more life than that. There's a very, that's a very small part of my story. And what I'm hoping is that over time we can each learn more about each other's story and uh, get into each other's lives. But uh, this morning we're going to talk about a, an epic story. Everybody loves a good story, right? Who doesn't like a good story? I'm a sucker for a good story. I love books that capture my imagination, and I love listening to music that tells a story. Now, I grew up in the 80s, and so one of the great stories of the songs of the 80s is John Cooper Mellon, right? I mean, a little ditty about Jack and Diane growing up in the heartland. So those songs like that tell great stories. I also like country uh, Charlie Daniels, Devil Went Down to Georgia. What a great story. And I like music and songs that talk about stories. I like stories where I feel I could be one of the characters. Um, stories that capture my attention and draw me in emotionally, they teach me something. They challenge me. When our kids were little, what we would do is uh, we would take some of the classics, uh, like Old Yeller and others, and we would read maybe a chapter or two a night, and um, finish the book, and then after we finish the book, we would go ahead and watch the movie, usually on a Friday night, which uh, was our family night. And so we did that for several different types of uh, stories and books, and one of my favorites was a story called Where the Redford Grows. Has anybody seen or read that or seen the movie? It is a great, great story. Uh, It's a story about this boy who loves his two honey dogs. And his two hunting dogs have such a tight bond with him. Am I breathing good? Is that my thing? That's pretty rough. But um, uh, that's all right. It's such a great story. It's a story about two boys and hunting dogs. His two hunting dogs have such a tight bond with him and with, with each other. I highly recommend it to you and your family. So I'm not going to give the ending away today. But the ending, I will tell you this. It is 
complete sadness. I remember sitting in my chair as I'm reading this book to my uh, to my kids, and I'm sitting in, in my chair, and you know, you have your book like this, and you're sitting, and as we got to the sad part, my book got closer. <laughs> it kept getting like this until it was absolutely in front of my face, and the reason was his tears were streaming down my face because it's a very sad event in this book, and I'm just crying. And so at the point where I'm like bawling and sobbing, I excuse myself, and I go into the kitchen and get a, uh, get a glass of water. My wife comes in, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally I'm sobbing. My wife comes in, she says, what's wrong? The book is so sad. <laughs> I was drawn into it. I remember... Uh, it was, uh, I, had to, I had to put it down. I had to stop. I was so into the story because it taught me that relationships are valuable. That's what it taught me. And when a close bond is broken or when it's suddenly gone, it's pretty tragic and it's pretty sad. Today we're going to look at a story that is epic. It was epic when Jesus told it in the first century. And it's still epic almost 2,000 years later. And just like us, the people in the first century, they liked stories. They liked a good story. Stories were one of the ways that Jesus taught others. He taught mainly through stories. When Jesus wanted to share a truth and be very pointed about that truth, but yet not be obvious, he would tell a story and couch whatever message that he was trying to get across within those stories. The Bible calls them parables, but it's just another word for a story. The story that we're looking at today is the last three um, of is the last of three stories about something that is lost and yet it was found. So we'll get to that later, but for now let's look, just look at this story and um, let's see if we can find ourselves in it. And let's see what Jesus is trying to teach us to do. All right, so take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. We'll begin reading in verse number 11. And it says, And he said, talking about Jesus, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and sow it. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fatted calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed you again. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, when the son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed a fattened calf with him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate with you guys. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. God bless the reading of his word. So here's the story. There's his father. He's a very rich man, right? And he has two sons. One of his sons comes to him and says, Dad, I like your stuff. You got a lot of cool stuff. And um, I really don't want to wait for you to die in order for me to get it. So can you just give me my portion? Just give me my, my little cut, and uh, I want some of your stuff. Now, can you imagine how insulting this would have been? I mean, can you imagine, put yourself in the dad's shoes. How would you have felt? I mean, if I would have gone to my dad and made such a ridiculous request, I know what my dad would have said. If my kids were to come to me and said, Dad, uh, I, I, I don't, you know, I want your stuff, but I don't want you to, you know, I want you to be dead. Um, I know what I would have felt. Now imagine hurt and anger probably would have been some of those feelings. But in spite of what his father was feeling emotionally, he very graciously handed over the son's inheritance and the son leaves. Did you get that? He just leaves. The story continues to follow the activity of this young son who is now richer than he has ever been before. And we find out that he is partying it up. He is living it up and enjoying every minute of it. But we soon find out as much as this kid likes to party, he had no idea that there was an end to his resources. The money's run out, and he's left going from job to job to job to find food and shelter until at last he is tempted to eat from the very trough that these nasty pigs are eating from. He hits rock bottom. There's nowhere else for him to go, and at that point, he remembers something. You know what he remembers? He remembers that his father's house has more than enough food to spare. So he devises a plan. He comes to this realization and he devises a plan. He decides to go back home and ask his dad if he can be a servant so that he can just survive. So he makes his way home smelling like a nasty, dirty pigsty. And he's rehearsing the story with each stride. Just rehearsing the story. Dad, can I, can I be a servant so I can come in and take care of myself? He's rehearsing that story with each stride. 
And just when he turns the corner, now I'm stepping away from the Bible, I don't know the geography, I don't know the road, but as he turns the corner, heading to his childhood home, he sees this dust pile come. And this dust pile gets closer and closer and closer. And then what he sees is his father's face, his father's face, and his father tackles him, grabs his neck, begins to kiss his son, who smells like a pig. Can you imagine the scene? What a glorious story. What a wonderful return home. Well, meanwhile, what the father does is he, the son begins to say, Dad, hey, he recites his, his little uh, idea, his plan. He begins to tell his dad what he's planning. And the father would have none. He says, no, grab a, grab a robe. I'm going to clothe you. I'm going to put shoes on your feet. We're going to have a party, son. We're going to have a great time because you're home. The father did not want to have anything to do with the plan of the son. Well, meanwhile, the father's older son comes in from working the field, and he hears the party, and he sends some people ahead to see what the world, all the commotion, what the celebration is all about. So upon hearing that the celebration is for his long-lost brother who had wasted his inheritance, um, he finds a stump, sits down on it, and refuses to go in and enjoy the party. What a shame. So the father, he goes out to his son, he pleads with him, he says, just come in and join the party. But the son refuses. And the story just ends. What a terrible way to end the story. I mean, I didn't write the Bible, God did. I mean, I get it. But what a terrible way to end a story. How many of you are office fans? The office? Anybody like the office? I love The Office. I mean, I've probably watched it four times by, you know, by now on Netflix. Last night we watched the season finale of the entire series. And what a great message, that, or what a great way to end up everything. There's this great story between uh, Jim and Pam, and you find it all the way from the first episode. There's a little love story going on. Eventually, within the series, they get married and they have kids. They have a few marital problems. And um, what happens in the very last episode is we find out that Pam and Jim, they move on. They move into Austin and begin to work for, for athletes, you know, and, and they start a new life and everything's great. The editors and the writers did a great job of tying a nice little bow and putting it, you know, wrapping that package just perfectly. And they closed the story in a very cool way, a story that I, I really enjoyed listening to and watching. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. <laughs> but yet, he is the master storyteller. And there is much to learn, even with this unresolved ending, like this story has. You may have heard this story before, but you may not have uh, realized that this story is actually the gospel. We're talking about down. We're talking about gospel this morning. And this story is actually the gospel. Countless thousands have been drawn into this story. Why? Is it because there's a, a good moral objective to be uh, learned? Or maybe it's because it might boost our self-esteem, right? Is that why? No. Not at all. It's because Jesus unfolds the story here 
in such a way that, yes, it shows us our sin, but it provides us hope and redemption. It's good news, City Light, and everyone likes good news. That's why everyone likes this story. It's not just facts about how the gospel moves us, but what this story does is it allows us to personally taste the goodness of the gospel. So I want us to take the time that we have left this morning and look at each of the characters in this story and discover what Jesus is trying to teach us. And maybe, just maybe, we can say we have personally tasted the goodness of the gospel. So let's do that. Let's, let's talk about this younger son. Point number one, the younger son realizes that the father's stuff didn't satisfy his deepest desire. The younger son realizes that the father's stuff didn't satisfy his deepest desires. Look at verse number 17. It's simple words, but when he came to himself. That's the, at that point, all the money, all the parties, all the indulgence didn't satisfy him. He found himself at his lowest point, wanting to eat what pigs were eating, wondering what had happened and how in the world is he going to survive this. What the younger son never realized until a father met him on the road on the way home was that the father's stuff was never meant to satisfy him. The father's provision for his stuff wasn't designed to satisfy him. Only the father himself was able to satisfy him. There is no replacement for the father's love and care. At his lowest point, point number two, at his lowest point, he remembers that there is more than enough food to spare. But he learned, also learned that there was more than enough grace to spare. So at his lowest point, he learned that there was enough food to spare. But what he found out is there was also more than enough grace to spare. What we may not realize is because it's a different culture, what we may not realize here is that the son not only disgraced his father by asking for his inheritance before the father died, but he disgraced his family and the entire community. The son violated a community standard. The rabbis thought that if you violated community standards, an apology was not enough. You had to make some type of restitution. The son knew the gravity of his decision. When he went to his father and when he made that ridiculous request, he knew that he was burning all his bridges. The younger son knew that there was no way back from this, but he didn't plan on going through the resources so quick. He understood that he needed to pay a lot of people back and work for a long time to earn people's respect, and he was ready for that. His entire plan that he was rehearsing all the way home rested on a lifetime of earning money and respect to pay back a debt and regain his status in the family and his community. But the father did have none of it. The father sees him and he runs to him. This is also significant because noble men, rich noble men like this young son's father, didn't run to anyone. 
This father was rich, he was respected in the community, and guys of this stature don't run to anyone, let alone their son who had squandered their inheritance. Let alone their son that had totally disrespected them. That type of stuff does not happen. They don't run. It's not supposed to work that way. But this father ran when he saw his son. Here's the good news to you, right? God loves, let me start over, God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrong. God's love and forgiveness can pardon and restore any and every kind of sin and wrongdoing. You don't have to earn your way back to grace. It's there waiting on you. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. It doesn't matter if you've deliberately oppressed or even murdered people. It doesn't matter what you've done to abuse your body. There's no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon and cover up. There's no sin that's a match for His grace. Amen? Now, I identify very closely with the elder son people don't talk about. But in a room this size with this many people, I can imagine that there's some younger sons, some younger daughters, can I just tell you this morning, I don't care what you've done. Jesus doesn't care what you've done. How you've done it. He's just saying, come on. Just come on. His grace is more than enough. And he is ready and waiting on you to come home. Let's talk about the older son. Some important points about the older son. Number one, the older son, the older brother in our story, is left outside of the party by his own choice. Not because of his shame and regret, like the younger son, but because of his morality and his goodness. Let me, let me show you this. Look at verse number 28. Verse number 28. But he was angry, talking about the older son, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my See, the older brother in our story is left outside the party, not because he's sh his shame and regret, but because of his own morality and his goodness. It's not his sins that creates the barrier between him and his father, it's his moral wreck. It's not his wrongdoing, but it's his righteousness that is keeping him from sharing in the feast of the Father. He says, I have never disobeyed you. When in reality, what we see here is that the older son is really not much different than the younger son, is he? The older son isn't much different than the younger son. He, too, wanted the father's stuff. While the younger son demanded it, give it to me, Dad. The older son thought he had done enough to earn it. He bitterly pointed out to the father and he says, look. Now, can you see him standing there with his finger in his father's face? The original language reveals that this is more like you and I saying, look you. Look you. 
It's disrespectful at best. And then he reveals what is in his heart. He says, I've served you so that I can get something out of it. I want a go. I want a party. You want a what? You want a go? I mean, we got a, we got the music bumping. We got people dancing. We got the best food on the planet. And you're telling me you want a go? Are you kidding me? Dad, I want to go. You've never given me a party. I've never disobeyed you, and now you owe me. But you didn't pay up, and so now I'm mad, and I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go join your stupid party. You owe me, Dad. Don't you get that? His goodness and morality was all about lifting himself up, not because of his relationship to the Father. This is a profound insight, church. And I wanted to get it this morning. I can avoid Jesus by keeping all the rules and all the moral laws. If I do that, then in my mind, I begin to think that I have rights. God owes me answered prayers. God owes me a good life. And he owes me a ticket to heaven when I die. I don't need a Savior who pardoned me, pardoned me by free grace because I am my own Savior, right? I've done enough to earn this stuff. I've done enough to earn your favor. I'm a good guy, God. I mean, have you ever done this? You ever been there? I mean, we live this very moral life, but our goal is really to gain some type of leverage over God so we can think we can make some deal with him when things go south in our life. Our goal is really to gain some leverage over God to control him, to put him in a position where we think, where he thinks he owes us. When in spite of all of our posing and all of our posturing, we're actually rebelling against God's authority. Instead of Jesus being my Savior, I have reduced him to being my helper. Instead of Jesus being my Savior, I have reduced him to being my example, to being my inspiration. What a wasted life. What a terrible, wasted life. What a laborious, tiring way to live. It takes far more effort to act like a Christian than it does to actually be one. The Father's saying, come in. Come on in. Enjoy the party. And the moralistic son says, nope, I'm better than that guy. I want to take a minute here as we finish up. I want to talk about the audience. You haven't mentioned them yet, but they are so extremely important to so I want you to be sure to remember this. This story was being told to actual people for a very real reason. The audience was broken into two groups. You had the Pharisees and the scribes, and, and, and they were in one group. They were the religious crowd. And then there was the sinners and the tax collectors in the other group. They were the group outside of religion. They would be the detested crowd. They would be the naughty bunch. The, the, 
religious crowd was upset with Jesus because he was spending a lot of his time with this naughty crowd. No respected Jewish teacher should be doing things like this. It wasn't in their repertoire. They should not be pursuing the sinners of society. I mean, after all, Jesus, don't you know that those people aren't going to get you anywhere? Don't you get that? They're not going to do anything for you. He's got both barrels pointed directly at the religious establishment in this story. And he's telling them, I am for the sinners. Those are my people. Those are the people that I came for. He tells them three different stories. And in all three of those stories, he's saying the same thing. I came for the lost. I came for the forgotten and the despised. But you know what he does? In, in his wonderful grace, in the, this last story, he also tells them, I came for you. I'm inviting you to the party. Would you come and join us? There's so much to celebrate, and I want you there with me. Don't you get it? You are the older son. To one group, he, to both groups, actually, he provides a message of hope. And to the other, the Pharisees and the scribes, he also gives them a warning. And he's saying, don't let your pride and self-righteousness keep you from, enjoying, from joining the party. You are not your own savior. I am. Don't be the older son. You see, we know that Jesus was the greater and the better elder son. Elder brother. He did what the elder brother should have done. His point is that I'm going out and I'm finding the lost ones and I'm bringing them back. I'm willing to pay the price that you aren't to bring the lost ones back to the family. No one needs to earn their way back in. No one can earn their way back in. It's paid for because I will pay, I have paid the ultimate price that only I can pay. And he did. Jesus did that. After living a perfect life, he was beaten. He suffered the worst kind of death that mankind has ever known, which is crucifixion on a cross. And for the first time in eternity, he experienced separation from the Father. But, praise God for Easter, right? Yeah, praise God for Easter. He proved that he was God when in power he rose from the grave and he rewarded the faith of all who believe that he is the Messiah. Yeah. That's the good news here, people. Yeah. That's the great news. That's the gospel. Jesus is for you and he wants you. And one day we will enjoy a celebration that will be epic in the world. Amen? That's what we're about. That's our DNA. Jesus came for, yes, he came for the, the younger brother, the, the sinner, if you will. The rebel, he came for the rule-breaking rebel, and he also came for the rule-keeping do-gooder. He loves us all. That's what 
we want built into our community. That's going to be the thread that holds us together.